I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello, all my fellow mourners of diet culture. It is I, Emily Lubin, the Grim Reaper and the host of this show, Welcome to R.I.P. Diets, Episode 8. If this is your first time listening, hello, how are you? What's your name? Let's get to know each other. Just kidding, that'd be a little weird if you started talking back to a podcast. But feel free to slide into my DMs, introduce yourself, tell me if you like the show, tell me what you would like me to be discussing on this show. I am totally open to suggestions. I love hearing from you guys. And I just, I I love that you guys have been writing in. I got an email that I thought was just gorgeous that I will be reading later. And this is my new email address for the podcast. It's ripdiets at gmail.com. If you have an advice question or you just want to give some feedback, you can write to that email address or as always, you can slide into my DMs, whatever you are more comfy with. It's just going to be me today. I do not have uh, a conversation this episode, but that's okay because we have so much that we need to cover. My notes are so long for this episode. Jesus. We're going to be talking about principle number eight of intuitive eating, which is respect your body. The official definition that I ripped off from intuitiveeating.org is accept your genetic blueprint. Just as a person with a shoe size of eight would not expect to realistically squeeze into a size six, it is equally futile and uncomfortable to have a similar expectation about body size. But mostly, respect your body so you can feel better about who you are. It's hard to reject the diet mentality if you are unrealistic and overly critical of your body size or shape. All bodies deserve dignity. Yes. Okay. Now, I will say this is one of those things that when you first hear it, like when I first read this, I thought, okay, respect your body. But how? Um, It's not something that happens overnight. And I will say it might not be something that you ace 100% of the time. It's something that once again, I've said it before, you need to constantly check in with yourself and say, am I treating myself the way that I know I deserve to be treated? Which is the golden rule. We learned that in kindergarten. Treat others the way you want to be treated, but also treat yourself the way you want to be treated. You should be your own best friend. I truly believe that. I know it sounds kind of corny, but I really do believe that. I have made a lot of strides in the past few years in understanding the concept of respecting yourself because a lot of people do say you should love yourself, love your body, but more than loving myself, I have learned to respect myself. Everybody deserves to be treated with respect. Is that wrong? wanting more for myself, wanting people to treat me with respect? Especially yourself. Would you call your best friend a fat loser? No? Then don't say it to yourself. Would you call your mom a fat loser? Would you call your sister a fat loser? I would hope that 
all of the answers were no to those questions. So don't say it to yourself. I think when you say things or you think things negatively about yourself that are blatantly disrespectful to you and your body, these things can really creep into your subconscious and even if you don't think it's a big deal at the time, it can really affect your self-esteem. And I've learned that positive reinforcement is much more beneficial in the long run and just as easy to do once you train your mind to do that. I wanted to talk to you guys about a book that I've been reading. And if you're interested in intuitive eating and weight neutrality and body neutrality and all this stuff that we talk about, you might be interested in this book. It's called Eating in the Light of the Moon by Anita Johnston. I know that the title Eating in the Light of the Moon sounds like a nutrition book for werewolves. But It's for humans, and it's actually geared more towards women. And it's all about how the pervasiveness of diet culture and women being obsessed with being thin is a way that society has suppressed feminine energy. This is a perspective that I actually had never really thought about before, but it's laid out so perfectly in the book. And in the beginning of the book, The author, Anita Johnston, goes into a little bit of history from, you know, way back when, like the dawn of civilization, we respected the goddess, the female version of God, just as much as the male version. And also women who had conventionally feminine attributes and signs of fertility, think bellies, think hips, think boobs. These were all seen as signs of beauty and they were seen as blessings because these were symbols of the goddess and roundness was seen as very attractive and um, mystical. But over time, we established a system of power in which the masculine was valued over the feminine in a lot of ways. And subsequently, we stopped worshiping goddesses. We stopped having matriarchies like we did. I mean, a lot of ancient tribes were actually matriarchies if you look into um, history. And our body types that we thought of as ideal slowly over time became more masculine. When you think about what a model looked like or what the idea of a beautiful woman looked like in the Renaissance, these were buxom, rounded, larger women and nowadays when you think of who are the top supermodels you think women with broad shoulders narrow hips flat stomachs these are all fairly masculine qualities so I just I had never really thought about that before but it reinforces the point that I've been making which is as a woman rejecting diet culture is a political statement, and it's a way of coming into your own power. Another thing that struck me, I, I'm not done with the book yet. I might give some updates on future episodes because I'm really into this book. It's becoming my summer read. But in the preface of the book, the author says that the women who are affected most by disordered eating 
you might think that they would be neurotic, flighty, insecure, desperate, all these things that you think about when you think about the stereotypical anorexic women, for example. But the author herself has found in her research that the women that are affected by eating disorders are often extremely creative, interesting, brilliant women. And the common denominator for each of them, while they all have different stories and different backgrounds, is that they felt like misfits when they were younger. And they felt like they saw the world differently than everyone else. And I cannot tell you how much I see myself in this book. I mean, I see myself in this book constantly, but this one really got me because it made me think back to my childhood. And I truly did. I truly felt like a misfit for most of my life. And I felt like I just saw things that other people didn't see, whether it was dynamics between family members of mine or tension that other people didn't pick up on, or just being sensitive to things that I knew had an undertone, but other people would deny the undertone. I was always a very sensitive child. And, you know, when we think of sensitivity, often people equate sensitivity with weakness. But in my adulthood, I've found that my sensitivity makes me good at what I do, And it gives me a unique voice and a unique power. The perception of sensitivity as being a weakness is what this book would refer to as suppressing the feminine, you know, suppressing those, that feminine intuition that, you know, is is seen as weakness in a male dominated society. But being sensitive is a great thing. I mean, you pick up on so many things. I can't tell you how often um, I will be talking to somebody and the conversation will quickly become very, very deep. And it might be somebody that I've never spoken to or, or I've only spoken to once. And they'll start talking to me about very personal things. And I honestly love that. I, I prefer having conversations about real things a lot of the time. Even if I'm not particularly close to that person, I find that it bonds you to new people to really talk about what's going on in their lives and what they've struggled with and everything like that. But I used to wonder why it was that I got stuck in these conversations. And I think it's just because I am sensitive. I ask the right questions, even when I don't realize I'm doing it. And People feel safe around me. They feel like they can share things around me. And that is a gift. And that's something that I've grown to really love and appreciate about myself. Even though when I was growing up, I was called too sensitive a lot of the time and and really felt like I, I took things too hard and I was too emotional about certain things or I was seeing things that weren't there. This book also describes the feeling that, okay, I see things differently than everybody else. So they must be right and I must be wrong. There must be something wrong with me. I must be defective. So a lot of the time you adopt destructive behaviors to kind of control this turmoil that you feel inside because you feel different than everyone else. And either the eating disorder or disordered eating confirms that you are different than other people or it's just a way to suppress your feelings and in the last episode um, we covered coping with your emotions 
it is always better to acknowledge your feelings and really sit with them and determine where they're coming from instead of trying to suppress them. Because when you suppress them, they're going to come out eventually. And it's just better to analyze those feelings, determine where they're coming from and decide how you're going to tackle that problem if it is a problem or maybe just to acknowledge that you're angry or you're hurt or sad. We don't do it enough. I got to tell you. And now moving on to this incredible email from Christelle. She told me that I don't need to keep her anonymous, so I'm not going to because Christelle is a French ass name. I fucking love your name, Christelle. That is beautiful. She says, Dear Emily, I'm a longtime listener of Hot Mess Comedy Hour, and I was delighted when I found out you would be doing your own solo podcast. I've really enjoyed it so far. You're very well-spoken, and it's obvious you've put a lot of effort into it. RIP Diets has helped me confront a lot of things I was ignoring during these pandemic times. Girl, don't I know it. I'll start from the beginning and try to keep it short. I would say that I was an intuitive eater until I was about 17 years old. I was thin as a child and adolescent and ate what I wanted when I wanted. No one ever commented on how much I ate and my mother would even tell me I needed to eat more. I didn't get a smartphone until my sophomore year of high school. Oh my God, times have changed. So I spent most of my time reading books instead of being inundated with images of impossible perfection on social media. As I began my senior year of high school, two things changed. I went on birth control and I joined the color guard team. On the color guard team, we would perform at many football games and competitions and there would be lots of delicious fried food there. I helped myself to it and I didn't think much of it until a team member got annoyed with me one time and said, damn, do you ever stop eating? Fast forward to freshman year of college and the lack of parental supervision coupled with an inability to cook meant that I was mostly living off of cookies and ramen. Yep, that seems like the college staple. I still was a relatively intuitive eater, eating food for flavor and joy and not really feeling guilty about it. It wasn't until I visited my family for spring break that things began to change. I was visiting my grandparents and weighed myself just for funsies. I was shocked to see that I had gained a significant amount of weight since starting college. The shame set in almost immediately. When I returned to college, I began my weight loss research via YouTube and watched my 600-pound life for motivation. My line of thinking was that I wasn't going to have the same fate as, quote, those people. I was better and more disciplined than them. I followed a bunch of black female fitness Instagram pages so I could see fit people who looked like me, and I swapped junk food for healthier snacks. I even downloaded MyFitnessPal. Everything I ate was now under heavy scrutiny. How many calories did it have? How many macronutrients? Will it it spike my blood sugar and cause me to retain weight? The summer of that year, I moved back in with my parents and worked at a summer camp and was on my feet all day. Even after a 10-hour work day, I would go straight to the gym and work out for an hour. I worked my body very hard that summer and lost half the weight I gained. This was the part where I was supposed to be happy, but I wasn't. I couldn't enjoy food like I used to and was heavily restricting myself. This led to binge eating and emotional eating. I still go back and forth between the two to this day. 
In addition to this, all the excessive exercise led me to gaining several injuries. I now have to deal with sore hips and knees that I never thought would be a problem in my age, 21. In the two years since I started my, quote, fitness journey, I've learned a lot even if I had to do it the hard way. I stopped following impossibly fit women on Instagram. I eat whatever I'm craving so it doesn't have so much power over me, and I take breaks from working out when I feel like it. I'm slowly but surely getting out of the binge cycle. When I finally confronted it head on, I knew changes needed to be made. I couldn't continue to live like that. Your podcast has been a great resource because it explains intuitive eating and navigates the discussion of disordered eating in a way that doesn't make me feel dumb or guilty. Thank you so much for starting this podcast and having me and helping me with recovering from binge eating. I wish I could force everyone I know to listen to it so they would stop telling me how much bigger or smaller I've gotten since they last saw me. Sincerely, Christelle. Oh, Christelle, welcome. Welcome to the mourners. Welcome to the army. Welcome to the revolution. I love this email. And um, what stuck out most to me is how young you are. You seem so perceptive and self-aware and... I just wish that I was like that at that age. When I was 21, I was in very deep in my eating disorder and I just didn't care. Like there was a um, part of me that that knew that I was harming myself, but I just didn't care. I just I I remember having a thought at one point because I, I went to see a therapist and this therapist said to me at one point, she said, if you keep doing this to yourself, and by doing this, in my case, she meant purging and restricting the way that I was, um, because I was very deficient and malnourished at that point. She said to me, if you keep doing what you're doing, it's not a matter of if you'll die. It's a matter of when you'll die. And just basically, she told me that, you know, this will kill you if you keep doing it because it's only getting worse. And at this rate, you're, you're just going to you're going to starve yourself to death. And I remember thinking when she told me that I'm fine with that. And I wasn't suicidal. I was never depressed in a chronic way. But I remember thinking I honestly would rather die than be the size that I was before because I hated myself then and I can't go my whole life hating myself. But the irony of that is that I still hated myself. Becoming thinner, getting a certain body type, having people compliment the weight I had lost, none of it really fulfilled me because I hadn't addressed the issues that were lurking underneath. And that is the lesson here. Uh, no matter what you do, you if you're not right with yourself and you're not thinking critically about yourself, then you're not going to feel good about yourself. I think a lot of people, when they go to college, have a similar journey as you did um, or as I did. You know, my problems definitely came to a head in college. And it's funny, I was thinking about college. I was thinking um, I've always looked back on college and it wasn't a great time in my life. I didn't really enjoy my college experience the way that I had hoped to. I went to one college for a year and a half, and I originally went to a small liberal arts school. I transferred to a big state university midway through, and 
I did everything I thought I was supposed to do. I joined Greek life. I really got out there, tried to make new friends. I studied abroad. I did all the things that you might think of when you think of like the quintessential college experience. You know, I definitely partied. And academically, you know, I I took a lot of interesting classes. I took a lot of classes that I still cherish the lessons from to this day. I was a creative writing major and I learned so much about writing and I was able to do it a lot. I was in really good English programs. That's actually the part of college that I look back on the most fondly, which arguably is the most important, but socially it just was not a great time for me. I really didn't find the people that I clicked with. Um, There are a few people that I still keep in touch with to this day who I hold very near and dear to my heart. But when people, when I hear people say college was the time in my life or those were the best years of my life, I just cannot relate to that at all. And I thought I was such a weirdo for having that experience. But now that I'm reflecting on it, I, I think that college is a time where a lot of us feel lost, but we feel like we're supposed to feel found if that makes sense. We're supposed to be, you know, gaining our independence and finding ourselves and finding our people and going out and partying and living our best life and being young and wild and free. So what? We get drunk. So what? We smoke weed. We're just having fun. We don't care who sees. So what? We go out. That's how it's supposed to be. Living young. But that just wasn't my experience. Um, I really was not comfortable with myself. I didn't get to be even where I am now until years later. And if you're in college right now and you're having that experience, just don't think that you're so crazy or such a weirdo or that you don't belong anywhere because you fucking do. You belong in the world and you're going to find somewhere that you belong. You're going to find something that you love to do. And you're going to stop caring. That's the biggest thing. After I stopped going to school, I finally stopped caring about the approval from my peers so much. And I finally started focusing on getting approval from myself, making myself happy, following my bliss, following what makes me happy and what makes me feel fulfilled. That really is the most important thing. Fuck everybody else. I mean, other people are generally fine, but fuck everybody else when it comes to your life you need to do what makes you happy uh and now I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and talk about a true queen I thought of this so randomly today I was really in the mood to watch the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air looked at my kingdom I was finally there to sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel-Air so I'm looking for it on Netflix and I can't find it on Netflix so I look on all the other apps. I can't find it on any other app. Finally, I do an internet search. I find out that you can only watch The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on HBO Max, or you can buy entire seasons on YouTube, and that's just not my speed. But RIP Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I want to watch you so bad. I loved that show so much. One of my favorite episodes when I was growing up guest starred the one, the only, Queen Latifah. And she actually was on the show multiple times. She made another guest appearance on a different episode as a different character. 
but for these purposes, I'm talking about her first episode, which um, she played a character named Dee Dee. And the basic plot line of the episode is that Will has two tickets to a basketball game and he gets set up on a blind date to bring this girl to the basketball game with him. And then when his date walks in, he realizes he sees it's Queen Latifah and she's not his typical cut of meat. She's not the type of girl he normally goes out with. She doesn't have the body type that he's normally attracted to. And he's holding the tickets and he makes up a lie. He says that his car is too packed with stuff and it, she couldn't possibly fit into the car. And then he quickly corrects himself saying, I mean, nobody could fit in the car, not just you. Um, you know, which is a blatant dig at her weight. And then over the course of the episode, you see that he and Dee Dee become very close friends and he actually starts having feelings for Dee Dee. And having a crush on her and not really knowing how to feel about having a crush on a woman who is heavier than than what he would normally go for. I realized when analyzing this episode that we have made definite strides on television. The way that we address these issues of um, body image and like dating people who have a a weight difference than you and, and all that stuff. We still have a ways to go, but this is just atrocious. I just, I cannot believe that they criticized Queen Latifah like this because she has such a normal body in it. I mean, what is normal? But she she is not even, I, I don't even know that she's plus sized in this. Um, Queen Latifah has fluctuated over the years, and I'm sure at one point she may have been plus size and at one point she wasn't as all bodies fluctuate and change over time it's very natural but they really just had her on the show and for the first half of the episode they're just ragging on her weight and all the other characters are making comments about her weight and Will's embarrassed that he likes her and oh god I remember really liking this episode because the character Dee Dee is so sassy and she doesn't take any shit from anyone. Um, and she really puts Will in his place. And then he ends up liking her for that very reason, because she's confident. She speaks her mind. Um, and she doesn't care about the approval of others, which is an extremely attractive quality. Um, but it, it got me thinking about body image when it comes to dating And when it comes to romantic partners wanting to look good for a romantic partner, I know that that can be a very stressful thing. When I was going through recovery, I was single. I was single the whole time. I definitely dated people, but not seriously and not long term. And in the back of my mind, there were some a few times that either somebody broke up with me or didn't want to see me anymore or you know, would ghost me. And my first thought was, oh, they think I'm fat. Oh, they don't like my body. Oh, maybe they found somebody else they think is hotter. And I think it's impossible not to have those kinds of thoughts when you have 
disordered eating or you have negative body image because you just think that there's this thing wrong with you and that everybody thinks that this is wrong with you and everybody's judging you all the time. And equally, it can be hard in a relationship. I had somebody DM me recently and she was a very nice girl. She said some very nice things, but she did say something to the effect of you should recognize that it it might be easier for you to talk about self-love because you have somebody who loves you. And, you know, while I do have a boyfriend and we have a lovely relationship and he tells me all the time, you know, he thinks that I'm sexy and he's attracted to me as I do for him as well. That does not negate the feelings that you have about yourself. And quite often when somebody compliments you, if you don't feel that way about yourself, you're not even able to see the validity of the compliment. You're not even able to accept the compliment. There was even a time in my life when I would have received a compliment and I would have thought, oh, well, they're just saying that to make me feel better which is really sad and really twisted, but this really is the way that I thought. So while I can admit that it it makes certain things easier to not be constantly worried about going out on dates and looking snatched all the time and looking attractive all the time, that can be exhausting. I, I know what that's like. You have to be dope at what you do, but you have to be super sweet and you have to be sexy and you have to be this and you have to be that and you have to be nice and you have to... It's like, I can't be all those things at once. I'm a human being. And when you have a steady partner, it's a little bit different. You're kind of allowed to be a slob a little bit more and not think about the way you look all the time. Different issues do arise when you have suffered from disordered eating. They don't just go away because you have a partner. That is so important to remember. Your problems, your neuroses, your issues, your self-esteem, it's not just going to change magically because you're with somebody. If anything, that can actually magnify your problems. And it doesn't matter if somebody thinks you're so attractive and and they love you so much. If you can't see that in yourself – you're not going to be able to accept that love. I know that it sounds ridiculous and I used to hear people say that and I would think that's total bullshit. I'm not saying that you cannot love someone until you love yourself. I don't, I I think that adage is not true at all. I think I've loved many people in my life with my whole heart when I did not love myself. But what the expression really should be is that you, if you cannot give yourself the love that you need, then you cannot accept love from other people. You need to really believe it in order to accept it from other people. And just like Queen Latifah's character in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, she loved herself. She thought she was fabulous. She had a fucking cool sense of fashion. She had a, a swagger about her. She had an attitude. And she had a fucking personality, okay? And she knew that about herself. That's what Will was attracted to. And that's not to say that if somebody's heavier, you can only be attracted to their personality. People of all different sizes can be attractive. They have attractive qualities. This is what I preach nonstop. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, who 
are you in a relationship with? Are you in a relationship with a body or are you in a relationship with a person? Nobody wants to be in a relationship with just a body, just a, a hot body with zero personality. They want somebody who can make them laugh. They want somebody they can spend time with. They want somebody who has qualities that they value. So if you don't see all those wonderful things about yourself, then nobody else is going to see them. We put more emphasis on the body than there needs to be in dating. I mean, and there are definitely people with certain preferences, which is totally fine. Some people like tall women, tall men. Some people like short women, short men. Some people like skinny model-esque women. Some people like curvy women. Some people like uh, women with long toes. People like women with short toes. It, 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 I could, the list could go on and on and on, okay? People are jerking off to feet, People are jerking off to women sitting on watermelons and entire cakes and balloons. There is somebody out there. There, Scratch that. There are thousands of people out there who would be totally into your aesthetic. Let's focus a little bit less on the aesthetics and a little bit more on healing within. Okay, so this is uh, your assignment. This is what we want to be working on for the next week. And this is going to go along with principle number eight, which is respect your body. This is how we can put it into practice. Whenever you have a negative thought about yourself, about your body, about your appearance, about the way that your shorts are punching you in the crotch and riding up your thighs or whatever, whatever it is for you, I want you to you can either say out loud or you can think to yourself my body is beautiful my body is functional my body is worthy and that's all you don't need to hype yourself up although I have no problem with hyping yourself up you could get up in the morning look in the mirror and say yes you're damn queen you're fucking awesome you're hot you're sexy you're voluptuous you're wonderful whatever it is but The main idea is that we do not need to automatically love our bodies. That's an unrealistic expectation. You can't go from thinking you need to change your body to suddenly loving your body, but you can treat your body with respect and you can repeat these phrases and tell yourself, no, I will not talk bad about myself anymore because I am worthy and I deserve dignity and respect. And that is the episode for today. Next week, we're going to be talking about exercise. I'm so amped to talk about exercise because so many of you have been asking me about it. And I keep saying, we're going to cover it all in good time, but you need to get these principles down before we move on to exercise because exercise is such a tricky thing to balance um, and to not automatically connect with food and weight and um, changing your body and all of that stuff. We're going to talk about how to enjoy exercise healthily and reasonably and sustainably. And I'm going to have a good friend who's a personal trainer on to discuss how she goes about training people from a perspective of self-confidence, which is just the best thing I've ever heard. And you should be so excited to hear this conversation. This could be great. Thank you so much for listening. Slide into my DMs at Lubination on Instagram, L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. Make the podcast your Instagram story. Keep writing iTunes reviews. I do not get paid to do this show. So this is 
kind of like throwing me a dollar without throwing me a dollar. Spread the fucking word. Send episodes to your friends who you think might be interested. And write me an email if you want me to address something on the show specifically, an advice question, uh, or if you have an anecdote that you want me to share on the show. I love that this is a collaborative project and I love that we are starting a revolution and we all get to be a part of it. Oh, one more thing. I created a private Facebook group for RIP Diets. It's called RIP Dieters. The cover photo is the logo for the podcast. It's me in, you know, a sexy slip dress with all this food around me in a graveyard. Um, You can request to be added to that group And I will add you, there's no requirements or questions or anything like that. It's a safe space where we can talk about body image um, and we could talk about the show or we could just talk about our lives. It is a hate-free zone. I also encourage discussions about Britney Spears and the Free Britney movement, which has already been going down in the group. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, Request to be added on Facebook and you can join the party. Peace out, y'all.